0: my name is crispina french and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam i'm an og textile alchemist worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s that college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here i am today to show you how to do it too stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts, not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and Western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over a hundred years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Martha Coates Donahoe from the most cool. I mean, honestly, you guys, the aesthetic, you've got to go check it out. It's called Hag and Company. I have been following her around Instagram for, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half. And when I found you, I was just like, really actually blown away. It's just really beautiful. So Martha, take a moment and just fill us in. Like, how'd you get here? Um,
1: well, I grew up sewing and I grew up sewing historical costumes. Um, probably started my first historical costume around age 12. Um, and I would go to the library. This is before the internet. I would go to the library and check out whatever books I could on historic clothing and, uh, try to replicate them at home using weird stuff, bed sheets and whatever I could find. My mom was a seamstress as well. So I pull things from her sewing workroom and I've sort of kept up this kind of work to today. I still, I still make things from recycled fabrics mostly. I still make historically inspired clothing, but um, the aim has changed slightly since when I was a kid. I'm less trying to replicate history and more trying to um, make a future.
0: Make history. I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> and you're not making history. You are making a future. That's so, so cool. So what inspired you in the, like, what about the historical clothing was like Ah, uh, inspiring to you as a twelve-year-old.
1: Yeah, well, I'm. I won't speak to my twelve-year-old self. I guess I'll just say um, what continues to inspire me about it now. Um, I find a lot of inspiration from pre-industrial lifeways, and that, and that's the music, the culture, um, spiritual aspects, but mostly work aspects. Um, I love thinking about pre-industrial labor and how um, people made such magnificent things from such humble materials and with their bare hands and with very simple tools, um, especially textiles. So I'm really drawn to... um, Obviously, most people don't have access to making such um, in-depth crafts at home or in their workspace... So I'm interested in the marriage of modern materials and sort of these pre-industrial life type crafts and how we can merge these two together and bring some of that um, slowness into our life, um, sort of honor these like age old traditions and bring them into the modern era. Um, yeah. And make really beautiful things that honor our life and make us feel really special. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the yeah. thing too that like when I you know I also love vintage old like antique clothing and like the biggest thing that stands out to me when I think about what draws me to that and I wonder if you feel the same way as like the care and quality right like somebody really cared to make something right and they 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 took their time and they weren't like distracted by um whatever you know Screens of any kind. Obviously, they were like, and it was like, uh, in addition to it being like a process of making a skill honing um, process, I think a lot of the textile work, and I, I actually don't really know for sure, but it seems as though it also provided like a social setting for a lot of women. Absolutely, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like embroidery and spinning and quilting were huge yeah.
1: social activities, things that people could do. Um, and it's something that people did while they were at home with their children or um, tending their sheep or their animals or whatever. These kinds of crafts are things you can carry around with you. And um, you need very small supplies. You can keep them in your pocket or your basket yeah. or whatever. And groups of people could move around and do these very social. They can sing together. They can tell stories. They can chat. They can you know, do their chores. Yeah. Um, and that's another really sweet thing about that kind of handwork. Yeah. It's so beautiful in your life in a really intimate way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that, that, the travel aspect, the, the the sort of, um, you know, easy to carry with you kind of thing. It's like, it's one of the things that I find like so important to the, um, to textile upcycling in general, I think that, um, you know, the accessibility and the, the, you know, when I first started my business, when I was, we were sharing a little bit about this before we started recording, uh, you know, I was a college student. I was an art student. I, I had, I had, I started my business with $20, like, yes. you know, I had like yarn <laughs> a and way. a big fat needle and like a pile yes. of sweaters from the thrift store. Right. Like. love that there was no extra any, like, I didn't, I I wasn't wanting any, I didn't, there was nothing else I needed. The energy that
1: I hope my project carries forth for other people who want to participate in this kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there seem to be a lot of barriers about sewing, um, especially with historical costumes, like um, fabric is extremely expensive and people usually want to make like fancy um, aristocratic costumes, but to make the kind of clothes that normal people wear, you can use normal thrift store. There's just so much free fabric that's like about to get thrown away in the landfill that we can use to make really glorious things. With very humble things, you can use dental floss to sew your clothes. You can um, you can tie things with knots. There's so many ways to get around like what seems really difficult or tedious about sewing. Just kind of get out there and throw yourself into some materials and just try it. Which right, right.
0: I love that. And and on top of all of those good things, the thing that I think is so like the frosting or maybe just like one layer of the frosting Mm -hmm. is that if you make a mistake, okay, no big deal. Like go back to the thrift store, right? Like a bed sheet. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like it's it's just whatever it is. It's such an opportunity that it, I feel like it really now.
1: It frees you up. Also, you're not using precious material. You can really just you can experiment and you can try things
0: and you can mess up
1: and uh, and there really is no yeah. There's no stakes.
0: Yeah, and it's, I feel like that for that reason, it it actually like the the level of creativity that one can kind of play with is exponentially uh, greater than if you're like. Oh my gosh, I just spent like $75 a yard on this gorgeous fabric and uh, God knows I better not make it with One steak. shot can make it right. And well, it, you know what it is? If you're using really precious
1: materials, you're going to tend to stick to projects you already know how to make so that you feel confident and um, and you're not stressed about ruining the material. But when you're using something that um, is easy come, easy go, you can really go out on a limb. Just exactly,
0: amazing. Yeah. So, so cool. Right so... You were talking about, you know, your, your aesthetic is like, you know, pre-industrial and you certainly have just made this beautiful marriage happen with your whole presence. Like talk mm-hmm. about like, what what is the best place for people to learn about your product? Do you do you send people to your website or your Instagram? I know you, I've been I really
1: only have two, um, Places where I reside on the internet. One is my Instagram, um, which is where I do most of my sharing and communicating, it's certainly about um, new collections, new patterns, um, and new lessons. Um, I let everyone know on Instagram. And the other platform that I use regularly is my Patreon, and I offer. So I, I lo- another way that I find is very empowering to sew is to not have to purchase a paper pattern. Um, that you you know you need to get it in your size and you know deal with this huge piece of paper and cut it all out and follow pattern markings, which can also be a barrier to get started if you've never used a sewing pattern. So on my Patreon, I offer verbal recipes, which I think is how clothing was historically made for most people. So I um, draw little diagrams to orient people on how to make these really simple, like you know. You can make a beautiful vest. You can make a beautiful chemise. You can make a beautiful skirt without any complicated patterns you can use and, and beautiful shirts, a series of rectangles and triangles. is going to make loads of beautiful clothing. So I offer these recipes on my Patreon, um, that people can use and make them in whatever size they need.
0: And yeah. you also have like sewing circles
1: there too, right? Yeah, like, so, I, yeah. so I have live sewing circles every other Wednesday, and that's a drop in, um, sewing circle and patrons can bring whatever project they're working on, or if they're working on one of my patterns, we can talk specifically about um, troubleshooting any area that they're working on. But honestly, we just have really juicy conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and like It's sort of late at night, everybody's maybe having a glass of wine, they've got their sewing project, they've got their historical book or whatever. And sort of we take these um, beautiful deep dives and So we have a lot of great chats and people bring all kinds of questions into the sewing room. And it's, it's just really sweet.
0: That's so cool. So, and so just to kind of back up a moment, I hear you talking about your Patreon. I know that you have beautiful pieces that you've made yourself that you sell from your website and then, and, and, if I correct, I might not be right, but I think you, don't you make like collections and then you have like a drop date so people can I'm kind exactly of see right. a group? So, yeah.
1: Um. So to back up even a little bit more, my main inspiration at this point is sort of historical folk clothing. And the reason that I think that that's important is because um, I don't see clothing as separate from our daily lives. And I think that when we think about regional folk clothing, what we're seeing is clothing that people have developed over hundreds of years that really fits their regional custom, their regional climate, their regional relationship to work and community building. And so that's a really huge piece to me for why I make what I make when I make it. So um, in that spirit, I think a lot about um, what we might need to wear in our seasons. Um, and I also think about what kind of, um, I, w- <laughs> I want to say spellcraft, but to me that sounds really dorky. So I'm going to try and think of something else. <laughs> but I do, I think about like what kind of um, energy I can bring into the clothes that'll make, that that really like in a really deep and sweet way is like inspiring that when you put it on, if, if you you think of something deeper than just like, this looks cute, you know, it really makes yeah. you feel Connected to something larger than yourself, um, and and so my collections are really based on that. I find a point of inspiration. Probably my most popular last year was um, I really looked at um, artwork um, from witch trials and witch hunting pamphlets, and I was like, "This is ours!" Like <laughs> it's all in the you know all these drawings and all the language about it is from the mouths of you know, these oppressive religious and, and, um, uh, you know, magistrates and all this stuff. And, um, and so it was really beautiful to just pull those pictures out and pull that language out and, um, give it back to ourselves in a, in a really positive light. so I made a bunch of block prints based on the original, uh, illustrations that I found. And I made clothing that sort of reflected my ruminations as i read about all this stuff so that became a collection um yeah and so that's sort of how i work i do a lot of research um and uh and i really love the research aspect and i try to package that into every garment so that when people wear it they really feel all of that condensed meaning
0: that is beautiful martha that is so so beautiful i think that you know a few um Interviews ago, I was talking about how like fast fashion stole our value, and about how yeah. you know people think that a dress is worth twelve dollars because that's what oh you can gosh. buy a dress for, yeah, right? Absolutely. Well, it's really um, so important to have people in the world who there's so much more value in a dress, right? Like what you just said about imbuing your sensibility to connection to place to your the history that you're learning and you're researching in the pieces that you create it's it actually comes across really beautifully and I wouldn't have been able to articulate that myself so it's just beautiful to hear your description it's so lovely
1: I have two thoughts to respond to that point that you just made and one is um it's such a travesty how we have devalued the textile industry and when I was in community college in Arizona in like uh, 2004, I had a wonderful sewing teacher named Georgia. And she told me that, um, pants cost less now than they did in 1950 when she was in high school or whatever. And I was like, what, like, how can that, you know, and she just kind of broke it down and she broke down how the textile industry had changed and where all the manufacturing had moved to and how, um, you know, how that outsourcing has affected all these different communities. And she was had a very beautiful global mindset about um, that. And she really opened my eyes to that, even though I was kind of already on that path, but she just sort of really articulated that for me. So that was really valuable. Um, And the other thing I think about is that when we're, so we're, we're consuming all of these like $12 dresses and we're yearning for more I see Instagram full of yearning like everyone's looking back to the past there I really see a sense in the community at large of yearning for the past and I see people I see like some of these 12 dollar dresses they look like they've been hand embroidered they look peasanty they look old they're they're evoking that sense of connection that we're talking about but they're not giving it to you and um and the other thing I see is that people are cutting up a lot of old fabric we've got these um embroideries and these doilies and these quilts. And that's another way that we're trying to get, we're trying so desperately to get in touch with that deeper meaning of, of a life that really sits deeply within itself, a life that reflects, a life that makes and connects. And um, so one thing I want to throw out to the other makers and the audience is that um, it's really possible for us to continue that wonderful embellishment act um, that we should endeavor to continue to make beautiful quilt tops and we should, you know, endeavor to embroider whatever we feel like wearing, embroider anything on anything. And you're going to just be like, so gobsbacked by how, um, proud of yourself you feel to be beautified in that way. And it's, um, so I think that another thing that's really important to me as a maker is to take things that are really not Intrin- like aren't seen as intrinsically valuable like a bed sheet and um and really imbue it with that something extra by painting on it dyeing, block printing embroidering adding trim whatever and that kind yeah. of gives us that connection to the to the to the doing the making
0: yeah and it's all i mean it's our energy right like we're putting our energy into it it's not um you know the whole you know doesn't matter what your creed is or whatever. Like if you're taking the time to sit and hold something in your hands and you're working on it and you're, you know, Deciding, like you know, every stitch is a choice, right? Like how long your stitch is, if you know mm-hmm. the tension, all of it is like mm-hmm. something that is specific to you in that particular situation, right? Even like humidity levels affect how yeah. things come together, like mm-hmm. so. It's just um, it's the sensibility that uh, of value, and you know, it's allowing us to steal our value back, right, from yeah. fast oh fashion my gosh. that. That 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 so much that
1: and not just from fashion but from capitalism. One thing I think about a lot is that um, these when we think about these fabrics that people would you know embellish the the quilts and the embroideries or or hand spinning and hand weaving or whatever it is. Um, the reason that people could do that is because they weren't as strapped to capitalism as we are now. Like if you think about how many labor hours, like one one um, uh, author supposes that it probably took about four years from start to finish to make a linen shirt from growing the flags to processing it and all the things and you know we couldn't afford to pay ourselves we couldn't afford to be away from work long enough in a modern setting to do a craft like that and it used to be something that every homely household would do for themselves and so right. i think that it's also um an act uh, Self-preservation. It's a political act of self-preservation to take time for yourself to do these slow things and embellish these things for yourselves. And it's something you can't purchase from anywhere because you can't purchase your own attention to yourself. Um, it's a really right.
0: Thing. right. And, I, and, and I think too, like you know, I, I love that you teach your craft and that you um, are sharing not just the structure of like how to make this particular type of thing, right? Like how to make this top or whatever, but you're also teaching that, right? So talk about your, how, how you teach, where you teach, what you have coming up and um, how people might want to participate in that.
1: Yeah. So teaching is a really new aspect of my work um, in this iteration. And I'm super, super excited about it because I think that the root of my work is it's, it's all this stories, all this lore is so much more than just the object that you get at the end. I actually have a workshop coming up where I'll be teaching stain making at Vesterheim, which is the National Norwegian American Museum. And they have a wonderful folk art school where they bring in folk art artists, um, I think is an act of like um, both pr- preserving Norwegian folk craft heritage, but also um, as an investment in the community of folk craft itself that they bring teachers in, um, which supports the teachers and allows the community access to these wonderful, wonderful crafts. So I'm so honored that I get to go do this and I'll be teaching a three-day workshop and bringing a brand new pattern that I drafted just for this based on, um, extant examples of Norwegian folk stays from the 18th century, which are just stunningly beautiful, um, and so where is the museum it, located? Oh yeah, it's in Decorah, Iowa. So it may not be on everyone's beaten path, but it's an incredible museum, and I think it'll be a really incredible workshop. And there is so like, it's a three-day kind of workshop,
0: of, and people are yeah. going to come. Do they need to have experience? Do they like what? How does that work? How do, do you? Yeah,
1: so all that information is in the class description. If people were interested in looking that up, um, but. You know it's a pretty difficult garment to sew so I would, I would suggest that people come with experience you're sort of yeah. expected to bring your own sewing machine there is a way to um, rent the sewing store nearby in town will rent sewing machines to folks if they don't have one or they're coming in from out of town um, yeah. and uh, but I'll be there to teach people so if people are brave and patient then I would say they can do it That's awesome.
0: You know, what's really funny is I think like bravery and patience is like really what you need, right? Like that's what you need to be. Yes. Uh, successful sewers. I think that really that's kind of a nutshell of like the prerequisite for pretty much any type of sewing. That's awesome. So, um, if you're listening to the podcast when, you know, we're recording this in April of 2023, but, um, I know that, um, Martha has her teaching schedule, um, You know, she posts about it on her Instagram, on her website, and if you're on her Patreon, I'm sure she shares stuff about um, upcoming classes as well, if you're listening to this at some point in the future. So, talk a little bit about the piece that you're going to be crafting at this particular workshop. Like, I... Have I did a little bit of research before we met because I wanted to learn more about what you do. And um, I didn't really know about this particular type of garment. So talk about the stays that you're making and how that works. Um, the core of my work is stay making.
1: And um, for so many reasons, I think this is such an intimate garment um, that really holds the body. And it was worn for so long and so many variations um and so across cultures too right like cultures yes yeah and it feels like um a wonderful piece that i mean for me and this may seem silly but for me it really helps it when i wear that i really feel kind of this connection to time before um and uh just it's just a really beautiful garment so stays are um they have been worn variously as underwear or outerwear or both in many eras. Um, and they are a stiffened bodice that um, go from about the waist to just the bust point, And some go longer over the hips, but they're not like a Victorian corset. They don't have any curved seams. They're made with pretty geometric shapes. The this, this seam lines are basically straight lines, um, diagonal lines. So you take something that looks really flat um, and layer it up with some stiffener and put some boning channels in it and you sew it together and you have this wonderfully conical object kind of turns the torso into an ice cream cone. Um,
0: <laughs> That's a great
1: description. It smooths the bust and supports it, but it's also something that can be worn um, by Flat-chested people as well, because it doesn't have cur- curved seams, so it's a really beautiful garment that I feel like any body can wear successfully and feel beautiful in. Um, so I really thought about it as well. Um, so yeah, so the stays that I make are a version of a historical stay, and like I said before, I really love doing research. So um, I look at the historical methods of sewing, um, and I think. Um, I think about why they were done that way. And then I think, well, what's relevant to us in a modern sewing context. So, um, I sort of extrapolate what I think they have to have. You can't live without these aspects and then sort of modify what I think any tailor would have done had they had access to a sewing machine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't sew my boning channels by hand. I think it is the most beautiful thing in the world when other people do. I really do. And I hope, I deeply hope that I do do that for myself some, at some point. But um, yeah, I use a sewing machine for everything that I can, and I delight in hand sewing the parts that can't be sewn on a machine.
0: Um, cool, so that's weird. so cool, and they're beautiful. And like you said, you can really like you know you're you're making something for you. So I imagine that every single person in your class is going to come away with something that's very their own, right? Like exactly. It's, there's yeah, like a parameter uh, that there's yeah. creativity inside of. Exactly. Yeah. That's
1: so, yeah. So i we'll have I have multi sized patterns available both in my shop and at workshops and when I teach in general. Um and uh and then each person will in the class will be able to mod I'll help them modify it to their particular size. And then hopefully everyone will have time enough to finish a piece and leave with a really beautiful
0: That boxes. sounds lovely. So yeah. I know that that's taking place. That begins on is it May 19th? It's May 19th through the 21st. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So um, check that out if you are in a listening within a timeframe that makes sense, and if not, definitely go to our show notes page where you can learn more about what Martha has to offer as far as teaching or learning opportunities, as well as the beautiful pieces that she has for sale. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, Book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business you know there's a couple i have so many questions and i know that we've um we've been chatting for a little bit so if you um could look forward um into you know like the the future of your business and of your of haggin company as like the most perfect unfolding for you to mm-hmm. meet your needs as a maker and artist in the world can what what do you imagine will unfold for you or what would you like to see unfold for you in the next say 2 years or something like that
1: Great question. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, I recently took a trip. I went on a women's art retreat um, with this wonderful group called Muses Escape. And we went to Scotland for a week and um, we just had unfettered creative time. We had some teachers, but also everyone brought whatever they were working on. And um, I have to say that taking time away from my studio and away from my normal pace really allowed me to. I didn't really ruminate. I just played really freely and I ruminated about it when I got home. <laughs> but um, but my reflection um, after that was that I really do see myself um, maybe veering away from production sewing and really going towards that deep time creativity that I really crave, which is maybe growing flax and redding it and spinning it and weaving it and making a shirt. That's something that I would really like to do. And I think that that... Um, embodying those skills from start to finish in a way that people can view and consume in some way is extremely valuable in today's society. And that if we don't know where it came from before the way it is now, we can't really value or devalue the way it is now. And I think that connecting with living history, connecting to history in a um, visceral way uh, can change the way we see the present and 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 the way we see the future. Um, so I think that I'm going to be steering my little ship towards um, some kind of experimental archaeology and uh, historical crafting in a more serious sense.
0: That is so beautiful. I think, you know, years ago I sold my work to a store and the woman who ran the store, her name was um, Anya and she was Irish mm-hmm. and she, but her store was in New Jersey and um, she sold my stuff like nobody's business, like just a volume. And I went to her store to do a trunk show yeah. and I was blown away. Her store was this tiny little beautiful oasis in this very like swanky town on the coast of New Jersey. And you know, she would have these very wealthy women shop in her store. And she was just, the, her, her way of teaching people about the importance of supporting makers was to celebrate, this is your heritage. If you don't support these people, you have the means to support these people. And if you don't support these people, this heritage will die. And it's what you're doing is carrying our heritage forward and making it accessible.
1: Yes. It's something that we do not, we cannot live without it. We cannot leave it in the past. It's not a dead craft. It is alive and it's deeply meaningful. And I think we absolutely need to bring it with us into the future. 100% from it's, you know, from the grass to the cloth.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <least> I just
0: <laughs> so love that. I just want to hang out with you in like wet linen. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is just so cool. I just, I, I think that, you know, somewhere deep inside of every maker, there is this penchant for exactly what you're bringing to life. That, like, how did this, how did we get to this point? How did we get, like, you know, I, I upcycle sweater. So, how did, you know, how did we go from like, you know, people hand knitting sweaters for their family members to just, you know, the, the onslaught of that production and the, the sort of disregard of the value that's imbued by the making process. Right. Like, yeah. so, So, so cool.
1: These. Yeah. And again, like it's, you know, we have these beautiful end products, but also like, let's talk about like an Irish fishing sweater, for instance, traditionally, um, these dense, heavy wool sweaters were woven by whoever was at home for the fishermen. And they were waterproof. They were felted. They were super, super thick, like a jacket. But they were also, if somebody, you know, forbid, uh, fell off their boat or lost at sea, they could identify people by the beautiful, particular uh, variations in the pattern on their sweater. And um, yeah. it's yeah. There's all this intangible culture woven into cloth and woven into textile lore. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's what makes it so incredibly special.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just love that, the whole sensibility. And I really encourage listeners to go look up Hag and Company on Instagram, go to the website, go to the show notes page, go to her website, um, support this girl because she is really just doing such a beautiful job um, carrying our history forward for us. And it's, it's, um, it's not something that is light to carry, right? It's just this beautiful commitment to um, all the things we just talked about. So uh, Martha, from me to you, thank you for doing your work. It's just so lovely to, to learn more and to understand really the, the ethos behind um, what you're doing. And, you know, I feel like, you know, just in closing, like if when somebody purchases a piece of your work, they're not only are they supporting you, but they're also finding that like, you know, the stays. And I, as I was reading a little bit more about the style and the eras and what, and the cultures that it crossed from um, and into it's, it's, there's something about the way that that particular garment holds the body. It's like, it's like, um, you know, I don't want to sound cliche or weird, but it's sort of like this hug, this that's, like security, this kind of like... people say
1: to me all the time structure. when they wear my garments for the first time. If they've never worn something like that, um, people think of stays as they get constricting you know waist cinching kind of body modifying thing but traditionally they were worn by people who were moving a lot all day long so I'm sure people were you know wearing them in a comfortable way but yeah when you put it on it just like just holds you and people tell me all the time they feel like they're being hugged you're just
0: yeah like, oh that's awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's lovely <laughs> thank you so so much for spending your time so with me and for and having me it's an absolute pleasure awesome Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at TheLuckyFive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Vandal Hyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com.